We are going to continue our sermon series on heaven. And the first scripture I'm going to go to in a little bit will be Isaiah 65. If you want to turn to Isaiah 65, uh, you may. And then we're going to go to John 14. Isaiah 65 and John 14 will be our uh, two scripture texts that I'll be talking about today. Isaiah 65 and John chapter uh, 14 today. You know, as we close out, though, or just to transition, closing out the time of communion, one of the best testimonies I heard about Jeremiah 31 and the new covenant. It's just a powerful passage when you look at that, Jeremiah 31 and the new covenant. I heard in Dr. Michael Radelnik's testimony, Dr. Radelnik teaches at Moody Bible Institute, and he's one of the deans and professor of Jewish studies and Bible. He's a messianic Jewish man raised very, very, very Jewish. His dad was in the Holocaust as well as his mother. His siblings died at the Holocaust. And when he became a Christian, his dad was very, very unhappy with him. In fact, he ended up denying him, totally denying him. And he made him meet with a few deconversion rabbis, deconversion rabbis. And as they were meeting, he's meeting with two deconversion rabbis. He's meeting with two rabbis who specialize in deconverting these people who become, who believe Jesus is the Messiah. And Michael Rydelnik, the 17 or so years old Michael Rydelnik at that point, points to Jeremiah 31, 31 about the new covenant. And he, and, he, and he reads that. They said there is no covenant. The rabbis said there is no covenant. And, and Michael points them to this passage in their prophetic books. And one of the rabbis looked at it and read it and said, I never thought about that before. It's an amazing passage about the new covenant, all pointing towards Jesus. So we're going to continue our series in heaven, on heaven today. Talking about a question, will there be homes in heaven? Are we going to have homes in heaven? What's our home life going to be like in heaven? And, you know, as we continue this series on heaven, some of you might think, I don't really care about this topic. And, or maybe you don't care about the one, one particular Sunday, but you really like the other one. Maybe you really like talking about pets in heaven. Or maybe you don't even care about talking about pets in heaven. I don't know. Maybe it's just interesting to you. Well, preaching is kind of like a wide-angle flashlight. And, you know, you have so many different needs and interests and thoughts coming through on any given Sunday. Although, I believe Jesus gives us fullness of life now and eternal life later. And oftentimes we minimize one and maximize the other. Or many times we minimize both, don't we? Many times we minimize both. We don't focus on the fullness of life Jesus gives us now. We don't even think about our eternal life with Jesus in heaven. And the goal of the sermon series is to paint a picture of heaven. And hopefully when the different pixels come together and the different topics, whether animals and next week, will time exist in heaven? And in two weeks, are we going to continue learning in heaven? And today we talk about homes in heaven. Hopefully, as we end the series, you have a better picture of heaven in your mind. You can think a little bit more, okay, I understand it a little bit better. And maybe it won't matter much right now. Maybe it's going to matter in a couple months or a couple or a couple years when you lose a loved one. Maybe it's going to matter more as you age, uh, depending on your, on your health, as we think things through. Randy Alcorn, who wrote just a marvelous book on heaven, was on Sean McDowell's uh, a YouTube 
last week. Sean McDowell teaches at Talbot School of Theology, and he was answering questions with Randy Alcorn about heaven. You know, it's a subject. We're going there for all eternity, but we don't think much about it. But we never want to minimize the fullness of life Jesus offers right now either. They're both just critically, critically, critically important. And I I probably shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. Um, I know people, when they lose loved ones, especially especially in an untimely way, all of a sudden, you know, it's totally unexpected. And and I gave one particular person, um, Paul Inns, uh, his last name is spelled E-N-N-S, book Heaven Revealed. And she just read it twice. I said, your loved one is in heaven. Think about that as part of your therapy, as part of what you're going through. And of course, everybody's ministered to a little bit differently, but that's why we're focusing on heaven. And then a few weeks, first Sunday in March, I'm going to start a sermon series, God Loves You. Never forget that either. Isn't it a powerful thought? God loves you. So I hope they'll minister to you. Mr. Johnson was a businessman from Wisconsin. Poor guy. Not because of Wisconsin. My brother sent me a picture. He's in Wisconsin. And it was negative 12 last week there. So I said, enjoy that. Anyways, businessman from Wisconsin. Well, Mr. Johnson is from Wisconsin, businessman. He goes on a business trip to Louisiana. Louisiana, big difference, right? He immediately sent an email back to his wife, Jean. His, unfortunately, he mistyped a letter and the email ended up going to a Mrs. Joan Johnson, the wife of a preacher who just passed away. The preacher's wife took one look at the email and promptly fainted. When she was finally revived, she nervously pointed to the message, which read, Arrive safely, but it sure is hot down here. <laughs> Make sure you check that email address before you send it. I want to talk today about home. What makes some place a location home? Oh, by the way, don't forget your homework, thinking of home. I'm still collecting questions that I can rapid-fire answer the last Sunday. If there's a certain thought you have about heaven that hasn't been talked about, submit them to me. I've gotten about four or five, and so the last Sunday of the sermon in about three weeks, we'll talk about that. But today, home. What makes, what makes a location home? Let me ask you, what is your dream home? Remember that show Fixer Upper? I think it still goes on. Chip and Joanna Gaines, they go in and they restore houses. They fix them up. Uh, in fact, my kids love that show and they've even liked watching it with us. Even when Mercedes was like five years old, I was, I was at my last church and I was uh, on a bike ride or run and I think I was pulling her along and she said, all these homes is a fixer-upper. And I'm like, no, not all these homes is a fixer-upper. That's down in, that's down in Waco, Texas. But you've probably seen some of those shows on Home and Garden TV about fixing up homes. Most of us can probably think of the way homes have changed over the years, right? And you can even think of how styles and decor and things like that have changed. And you can maybe think back to the way your home used to be or maybe the home you grew up in. Maybe you can still drive by the home you grew up in or a home you raised your kids at. And you can even drive by the neighborhood and see how things have changed. I grew up in in Dayton. Uh, just uh, really blocks away from the downtown area of Dayton. And everything has changed. And then we moved out of Dayton and we moved to a area, a Northmont community, the same school district Don Phillips went to, um, and just a couple years apart, I think. Um, but Northmont area, just northwest of Dayton. 
in a two-story home. And a few years ago, I was just Googling on websites, and, and I found a real estate pictures of the house that I grew up in, and they changed everything. They combined the living room with the dining room, and they repainted the fireplace brick and made all these changes, and it, it doesn't look like home anymore, right? Everything changes. Everything changes. Are there places that you can go and you just know your home? You just feel at home when you go to a certain place. Maybe it's your current home. Maybe it's the area you grew up. Maybe it's somewhere else. When I drive around Dayton, I can still feel a sense of home there. Even though things are changing, I can still feel a sense of home. Then we moved to Cincinnati in 2006, and and it took a while for that to feel like home. All of our family, all of our relatives, all of our friends were still in the Dayton area. But after five years there, it did feel like home. And we moved to the Alliance area and lived there for six years and two months. And at first, it felt like we were starting our life over again. It didn't feel like home. After six years and two months, we felt at home there. And then we came here, and we've been here almost six years, and it also feels like home as well. What makes something home? When we think about heaven, you may wonder, will we have homes? Will we have our own homes in heaven? Will it feel like home? Will it feel that personal connection of home? What makes a place, a location, a personal connection of home? Is is it the size of the home? Is it the decor? What makes it feel that way? And I want to show that heaven will have all the comforts of this world without the sin, pain, and suffering. In heaven, we will have home sweet home. In heaven, we will have home sweet home. Heaven will be personal. It will have that intimate feeling of home. One thing I realized when we, were just, when we first just moved to Cincinnati and I was driving from one errand to another, but it was connected to my pastoral position at the church and I wasn't with Megan, I was just alone, we didn't have kids yet, and I thought, it doesn't feel like home yet because there's no memories here. There's no memories of being with a spouse or family, going out to eat or doing different things. There were no memories of real close friendships at the church yet. And as you build those memories, you have an intimate connection, a real close connection with that community, with that area, with that home, with that, maybe with that church, with those streets, with that area. It's connected to relationships, though, isn't it? And in heaven, we're going to have the ultimate, awesome restoration of, rest, of relationships. And we're going to be with Jesus. It will be home sweet home. I want to look at Isaiah 65, 17, and then 21 through 22 first. Uh, just briefly, these two verses, and then or three verses rather, and then we're going to move on. I looked at these verses a few weeks ago as we talked about heaven. But we see in verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. God is creating new heavens and new earth. And we talked about this in, in chapter six, uh, 65 of Isaiah, um, the uh, prophet, God is inspiring the prophet, and he's blending together the millennial reign with the new heaven and new earth. Together, the millennial reign with new heaven and new earth. And we have an expression, the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. That doesn't mean we're going to forget. We'll talk about that in a future message. It's just an expression, really, of the greatness and awesomeness of the new heaven and new earth. And then you look at verses 21 and 22, Isaiah 65, 21 and 22. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. 
For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. I'm going to make the case, well, we'll have a type of home in heaven. We'll have homes in heaven. Our homes will reflect this life without sin, trouble, hardship, pain, and sickness. Our homes will reflect this life without sin, trouble, hardship, pain, and sickness. Remember that it seems, and I believe there totally is, some continuity between this life and the eternal new heaven and new earth. They're going to be similar. Much like the Garden of Eden was created before sin entered the world. Remember, man was given to work before sin entered the world. And we had this marvelous, awesome Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. A new heaven and new earth is going to be like that, like this earth, only so much better. Verse 21 says, they'll build houses and inhabit them. There's vineyards and eating. It seems that, they, that we may have land. Remember that if you read Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we see a huge city, which is the New Jerusalem. But we also see a garden. If you like the city, you got it. If you like the garden, you've got that too. If you like the open country, it looks like you're going to have that as well. In the passage in Revelation, it seems that, we'll be, that we will be working the soil of the land. Work is not a consequence of the fall. Growing weary in our work, being burdened by our work, is a consequence of the fall. An existence without work and without purpose is a horrible existence. In Genesis 2.15, this is the passage I've already referenced, we see that Adam was placed in the garden to take care of it. And this is before sin entered the world. But because of sin, we work and grow weary. In heaven, we won't work and grow, we won't grow weary. We won't be burdened. It doesn't mean we won't have limits. We will still have limits. We're not going to be God. We're not going to be all-powerful, nor will we be all-knowing or present everywhere. We still will have limits, but... We won't be burdened by the work. So what will our homes be like? In heaven, we have homes and we have land and we can take care of that. In Chip Ingram's book, Chip Ingram's book titled The Real Heaven, what the Bible actually says, he writes this. He has a chapter on our homes and he says that our homes will be a lot like the new bodies we have. Our new bodies are to be like our current bodies and our new homes will be as well, like our current homes, except they will not have all the limitations and illness, etc. You know, our current bodies are going to be similar, and our homes will be similar. Not similar necessarily to your exact current home, but similar to homes in this life, on this earth. There's only so much we can know, but I think we can go a little deeper. If you look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 2, John's gospel chapter 14, verses 1 through 2, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? You. 
You might know that passage in the KJV way, King James Version, Authorized Version way. In my father's house are many mansions. Randy Elkhorn writes about that, helps us understand this, though it's not just him. There, there are many sources about the mistranslation there. The, the Vulgate, which was a Latin Bible, it used the word mansions in that verse. That comes from the Latin, from the Latin. And the King James Version followed by using mansions. Unfortunately, that rendering is misleading if it makes us envision having massive lodgings on separate estates. The intended meaning seems to be that we'll have separate dwelling places on a single estate or even separate rooms within the same house. In fact, some would say it's more like, well, I have apartments, my father's house. My father's house. Heaven is all God's house, and we will have some form of separate dwellings. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says, since heaven is here pictured as a father's house, it is more natural to think of dwelling places within a house as rooms or suites. The simplest explanation is best. My father's house refers to heaven. When Jesus says my father's house, that's referring to heaven. And in heaven are many rooms, many dwelling places. The point is not the lavishness of each apartment, but the fact that such ample provision has been made that there is more than enough space for every one of Jesus' disciples to join him in his father's house. Jesus is describing ample provision where there's more than enough space for all of us. The New International Version rendering of John chapter 14, verse 2 is this. In my father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Place is singular, but rooms is plural. Place is singular, but rooms is plural. This suggests Jesus has in mind for each of us an individual dwelling that's a smaller part of the larger place. This place will be home to us in the most unique sense. It will be home. It will be home, sweet home, so to speak. The term room is cozy and intimate. The terms house or state suggest spaciousness. That's heaven, a place both spacious and intimate. Some of us enjoy coziness, being in a private space. Others enjoy a large, wide open space. Most of us enjoy both, and the new earth will offer both. Coziness and wide open space together. Heaven isn't likely to have lots of identical residences. God loves diversity, and he tailor-makes his children and his provisions for them. When we see the particular place he's prepared for us, not just for mankind in general, but for us in particular, we will rejoice to see our ideal home. I mean, God knows us through and through, right? God knows what we need, doesn't he? Sometimes we reject what we need on this life and try to go for what we desire, what we want, regardless of whether or not that's what God has called us to. But in the new heavens and new earth, in heaven, he's going to give us what we need. Question is, will we entertain in heaven? Since we have homes, will we entertain? I think it's likely that we will entertain in our homes. Just like we do today, this gets into a broader topic of feasts in heaven, eating in heaven, relationships in heaven, etc. But it seems like we will have all of that and much more. Just think about how many times when Jesus was with the people, they ate together. 
Even after Jesus was resurrected, even after he died and was buried in the tomb and was resurrected, he had breakfast on the beach with the disciples. I think it's pretty awesome. I think the disciples were thinking it was going to be like Casper. They were going to see him eat the fish and see it go all the way through his body. But it wasn't. It was proving that his resurrected body, just like our resurrected body, has the ability to eat and drink and talk and fellowship and walk. and so many other awesome things. And it seems to me we will entertain in heaven. We'll feast in heaven. We see the marriage supper of the lamb in Revelation 19, right? We see vineyards. We see all these awesome metaphors, all these awesome descriptions of heaven. We know Hebrews 13.2 talks about entertaining angels. So entertainment is important. So we will have homes in heaven. We will fellowship in heaven. And we continue to build a picture. But let's take a couple moments to apply. Why wouldn't we have nice homes in heaven? I mean, we're going to have perfect resurrected bodies, right? Why wouldn't we have... Nice homes in heaven. Remember that heaven is not a metaphysical place. Heaven is not floating on the clouds. The Bible paints a picture of a real, tangible, physical existence in our eternal place in heaven. We're going to have real resurrected bodies like Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. That would imply we will also have real places to live. Obviously, I've mentioned descriptions of vineyards, descriptions of a city. That also implies homes, a real city, a real garden, paradise. We're going to have real relationships. We will eat. I don't know if there'll be peanut butter pie, but I'm pretty sure there will be steak and potatoes. Um, We will eat. Heaven will be what this life was meant to be. There'll be no suffering, no crying, no pain, no sickness, no death. But there will be purpose and there will be living. We can, be, we can be encouraged that we will have some form of dwelling in heaven. We can be encouraged that some things from this life will continue to eternity. We can recognize we must live in community now as we will later. So even as we can be encouraged, we should also recognize that we live in the community of the church now. And we're going to be with the bride of Christ, which is the church for all eternity. Do you care about fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you care about praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens, rejoicing together? We're going to be with brothers and sisters in Christ for all eternity. I encourage you to live with the community of Christians now. You know, we will have homes in heaven. We will have a dwelling place in heaven. We're going to have an eternal existence in heaven. It's going to be beyond our wildest, most awesome imagination. I really, really, really do believe that. But some of our views of heaven are too small in various ways. Some of us might think And we only think of heaven as these amazing, big, marvelous plantation type estates, you know, huge houses. And it might be the wrong focus. It might be focused too much on American ideas of affluence. 
We have an individualistic approach to our faith oftentimes, and that's not really Christian. The Christian life is more holistic, more community-driven. We have different ideals. In Chuck Swindoll's book, uh, I think it's Come Before Winter, he references that when the settlers initially moved out west, they put their homes in the very middle of their farm. They're in the middle. They didn't want to be able to see their neighbor's candle lights at night. But eventually they were threatened, of course, with attack, and they were attacked, and they were unsafe. And so eventually they had to all put their homes in the corners of the farms. So they were all close together to support one another, to defend one another, to help each other. Heaven is going to be home, certainly in that we're going to have dwelling places. Uh, maybe apartments is, like I said, that's a better, a better translation of that passage in John 14. We're also going to live in community. And we're going to have just a close relationship, an intimate feel that we feel comfortable there. That we belong there, that we belong there, right? Have you ever been to a place and you're like, I don't belong here. I don't feel right it doesn't make sense. When I first landed in the, in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip, as soon as I landed and we got in the airport and I heard the language, I don't speak Spanish, I realized this is different. And then I came back saying gracias, which I probably mispronounced, see, after being in the language all week. Heaven, you're going to feel like you belong. It's got to be home. It's got to be home. And, and, and being home is more than just the type of home you live in. It's going to be perfect for you. God created it for you. And guess what? I don't think we have to worry about plumbing issues or electric issues or flooding in the crawl space, which terrified me last week, but Phil Calzo settled me down. So home is going to be perfect. You're going to belong there. What makes something or someplace home? Could it be that home is where your family is? Could it be that home is where your community is? Could it be that home is where you belong? Could it be that home is where you have purpose? Could it be that home is where you have memories? I believe you will have all of that in heaven and so much more. You will have memories and you're going to make new memories. You will have community and new community. You will have family and more family. You will be reunited with those who have gone on before you. You will have purpose. You will belong like you've never belonged before. You will have an estate, land, and house. And oh, you will also have joy. You will have joy like you have never known before. Heaven will be home. There's a show. It's made by Masterpiece, which is BBC. I think it's called Masterpiece Theater. We catch it on PBS, and it's called All Creatures Great and Small. And it's based on a book series that were written by a, a veterinarian. It's really neat. It's a remake. Uh, our family watched it. In the last episode of season three, World War II is breaking out. It takes place in the Dales of, of England. And it's a veterinarian living in this farmland, the Dales of England. Just a beautiful, wholesome, wonderful show with beautiful scenery. And it's a veterinarian. And... Uh, World War II is getting ready to break out. And as World War II is breaking out, with each episode, they show more people being enlisted into military service. And with each episode, they also show uh, people escaping, children escaping from London, where it was unsafe because the bombings on London. And because they're escaping from London, they need people to take in these children. 
Much like in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they had to go live outside of London. And so in the very, very, very last episode of the last two episodes, there's a little girl who comes to live far, far away from her family in London with this veterinarian family because of the war breaking out, because of the bombings on London. And as this little girl is staying with them, she's probably eight or ten years old, all she keeps telling them about is the Wizard of Oz and Ruby Slippers. And so the person who works for the veterinarian cooking and stuff uh, gets her ruby slippers for Christmas. And she's Jewish, and she she teaches them about Hanukkah, and they celebrate Christmas with her. And as they're opening gifts on Christmas morning, they give her ruby slippers. And she puts them on instantly, and she clicks the slippers together and closes her eyes. And she opens her eyes, and, and tears says, why am I still here? Why am I not home? She wanted to be home back with her family, back in London. And, and as I heard that, as I watched that, a very, very sad moment, and they comforted her, of course, it made me think, is it possible that every trial, every tribulation, everything we go through that's just not right, sickness, illness, emotional illness, hardship, loss, is all a reminder we live in a fallen world, a broken world, and we're longing for home. And heaven will be our eternal home. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just ask your blessings as we are reminded that heaven will be our eternal awesome home. It's going to be marvelous. It's going to be beyond anything we can even think or imagine. And Lord God, I pray that it's something we can focus, focus on, long for, but not to the point where we don't live now because you give us fullness of joy now. You give us abundant life now, but also fullness, complete, eternal life later. May we also recognize how awesome heaven will be, and may that motivate us to share the gospel. May it motivate us to think of who we need to, who you call us to, be ambassadors of Christ to. Each one reach one. We can each, we can each prayerfully discern sharing the gospel with other people, starting with prayer. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna close the service in song here in just a moment. There's another card in your bulletin. You've seen them before, but it's been a while. It's a prayer card where you can put a name of an unsaved family member or friend on it and put it in these boxes at the prayer altars. And I encourage you, we'll put them in again next week. I encourage you to prayerfully discern who has God placed in your life that needs the gospel. God has you there for a reason to share the gospel with people. And angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. And Put their name in this box. It could be first and last name or just first name, but they're gonna stay confidential. But we wanna pray that God uses us to share the gospel with other people and have spiritual conversations. And it does start with prayer. Um, And certainly during this closing song, whether you wanna bring one of those names forward or you wanna come and pray, come forward and pray for anything. Come on forward, we're here to pray with you. You're able to stand with us, we're gonna sing to you.